The Ten Commandments are still held by many to be a wise and moral code that we should respect and honor. But what is their significance today, and what can they teach us about the heart of God? Find out today on the Central Baptist Podcast. I always have in my mind and heart the the last verse of Psalm 19. When for many years I take these last few steps up into the pulpit. You know it. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May that be true again this morning, Father. Amen. So let me tell you a story this morning that will help us see what happens when lies, misinformation, deceit, run amok in a family when people live in the turmoil of dishonesty. You find the story, if you have a Bible or in your cell phone or whatever this morning, in Genesis 27. That's the background. It's a dysfunctional family and a story about what happens when deceit, deception, lies take over. Here's the setting. Here's the context. Many of you will know the pieces of this. Isaac is married to Rebecca. Together they have twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's the mother's favorite. Jacob is also a schemer. And one day Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. It's a great story about people who sell tomorrow's legacy because they're, they want instant satisfaction today and who will be hungry again tomorrow. That's a story for another time. So in our story, Isaac is getting old. His eyes are failing. It's time for him to pass the blessing, the family blessing, onto his eldest son, who is Esau. So to get ready to give him the blessing, Isaac tells Esau to go and prepare some tasty meat, the kind of dish he really likes. But Rebecca gets involved in the scheme. Remember, Jacob's her favorite. And she tells Jacob to get in there first, and he might get the blessing from the father. Jacob said, that's not going to work, mother. Esau is hairy, and I have smooth skin. Rebecca says, get some goat skins, put them on your arms. The old man will never know. Isaac's not so sure. He hears the voice of Jacob, but he, he feels the skin of Esau, and he starts to question him. Esau asks his son, how did you find us so quickly, my son? Oh, the Lord, your God, give me success. And Isaac said to Jacob, come near so that I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are Esau or not. And Jacob went close to the father, Isaac, touched him and said, this is the voice of Jacob, but the hands of the hands of Esau. He didn't recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son, he asked. In that, Jacob had a moment, just a moment, to tell the truth, to get out of his charade. He can end the pretense and the lying right there. But instead, he says, I am. And that's the final nail in the deception. And so Isaac blesses him. And then Esau returns. Here's what's happening. He's furious. Isaac realizes what's happened too, and he can't believe it. He's beside himself. He said, your brother came deceitfully, and he took the blessing. 
Rebecca tells Jacob to get out because Esau's wanting to kill him. She says, you just go away for a few days to my brother Laban in Haran. Now Laban's another piece of work. Jacob meets Laban and someone who is trickier and deceptive, more deceptive than he is. Again, that's another story for another time. Rebecca says to Jacob, catch this, it'll just be for a few days. You know, sort of till everything kind of cools down and calms down, just a few days. You know what? It actually turned out to be 20 years. That is the high price of deception. So this is the story of a dysfunctional family. And the dysfunction is exaggerated and fueled by lying and deceit. It is a family riddled with duplicity and falsehood. And it tells us what happens when one lie is piled on top of another and another. One dishonest statement leads to another. And there's the exponential growth in deception and cheating. And it's the stage for us to think today about God's word, not to bear false witness. And with that, the necessity of telling the truth. So while, as you've noticed these weeks, an emphasis in the commandments is often on the negative. Do not do this. We can learn a great deal if we turn a commandment around, inside out, as it were, and we move from the negative to the positive. God's people don't murder because they believe in the sanctity of life. God's people do not commit adultery because they nurture a covenant marriage, as we said several weeks ago. God's people don't steal because they live with honesty. And so God's people do not bear false witness. Rather, they live the truth and they speak the truth. That's what we look at this morning for a few words. One of the, one of the great words of the Christian faith, we sung it this morning, Christian faith in life is the word grace. We want to be touched by grace. We want to sing about amazing grace. We want more grace. We pray for grace to come and touch our lives. We need grace. But we need to recognize that when grace comes into our lives, grace brings a friend. Grace has a companion. Her name is... Hello? Her name is Truth. John 1.17 says that grace and truth, and the way those two words are put together, you don't get to choose one or the other. Grace, truth, they're merged together, was realized by Jesus Christ. Jesus brings grace and truth hand in hand. They're like Siamese twins. They're welded together. You cannot understand one without taking the other. You cannot have one without the other. And so grace calls us this morning, we'll start by saying, grace calls us to be truthful with ourselves. That may sound strange. You ask, aren't we always truthful with ourselves? The truth is, we're not. One of the most common and dangerous games that we can play is the game of self-deception. Before we deceive anyone else, we have deceived ourselves. Before we lie to anyone else, we are lying to ourselves. This is basic psychology, and it comes from the Word of God. So this morning, by the way, some of you have been in church and listened to pastors for a long time. Um, How many points does a normal sermon have? Three. Okay. We're going to start here with seven. Just I thought I'd warn you about that. Then there's more coming later. Here are seven tricks of self-deception lifted out of the Scriptures. They're actually just headings with a verse behind them. You've got to fill them in in your own, the details of your own life. Number one, 
If we think we won't reap what we've sown, we are deceiving ourselves. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. A man, a woman, a young person, doesn't matter, reaps what they sow. One of the most common acts of self-deception is to think that consequences are not connected to choices. We think we can choose one thing and not have to accept the consequences that go along with that. We're always free to choose. We're never free to choose the consequences that accompany the choices we're making. They're welded together. What we sow, we reap. Hosea adds to that, you sow the wind. Can you finish the verse? You reap the whirlwind. If we think otherwise, we're kidding ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. Number two, if we think hearing God's word is sufficient, we're not obligated to practice it, we're playing a game of self-deception. James chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Spiritual growth does not happen because you turned up to Central Baptist Church this morning. We're glad you're here. It doesn't happen when we read the Bible. It happens when we take a truth, what it means, and then we begin to put it to work in our lives. Our maturity is not defined by what we know. It is measured and determined by what we do. Here's the next one. We're deceiving ourselves if we think that we can say the right things in worship and then harsh and unkind things when we walk out of church. Again from James. If anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Next one. If we think that we can give equal billing to God and materialism in our lives at the same time, we're deceiving ourselves from the gospel of Mark, from, the gospel, from Jesus. Still others like seed sown among throngs, they hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and they choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Again, if we think we're Christians, and are born again, but we continue to live a sinful lifestyle, we're living a deception. Corinthians, don't you know, don't you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards or slanders or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Number six. If we think that we can run around with the wrong crowd and not be influenced by them, we're kidding ourselves. Corinthians says to us, don't be misled. Bad company ruins good character. When we think about peer pressure today, I think our tendency is to think about that in the context only of young people, young adults. Peer pressure is also an adult issue. Don't be deceived about that. We are influenced, no matter our age, by the company that we keep. Number seven, if we think that we've arrived and don't need to grow or change anymore, we're deceiving ourselves. First John chapter one, if we claim to be without sin, John says, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. You remember the story of the prodigal son? Maybe the best known story that Jesus tells. It's a timeless story about this young man, this young person who left home to find freedom and enjoy the good life of wine and women and song. So he heads off to the big city and pretty soon he's in the gutter 
morally and physically. As he throws it one more time, he's, he's scavenging for food. Perhaps trying to find some cold pizza in a garbage can. The person he is lying to most of all is himself. And there's a great line in the story. It really is the turnaround line in that story. It simply says, he came to himself. He came to himself. You see, the problem was not with his father and all his rules, all the chores that needed done. The problem was not with his obnoxious, self-righteous, goody-two-shoes brother. His problem was that he was lying to himself. So when grace enters our lives, folks, grace comes arm in arm with truth. We need to know that. So what does grace do? Well, grace simply calls us to be truthful with one another. Again, from the scriptures, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. I just so appreciated this morning, Scott, when you, you, you brought us back to center and to focus on that great passage on, on Christ himself, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. There are two passages in the New Testament that, can I tell you, you need to know, you need to memorize you need to meditate on. One is Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Scott read it this morning. The other one is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through to 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though being in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped and held on to, but he emptied himself for us. Those two passages you need to have in your heart, you need to have in your mind, you need to have in your life. Again from Ephesians, each of you must put up falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are members of one body. Now that sounds just so simple. Yet we have to see that in many of our day-to-day -day conversations we fall short. Sometimes our speaking in love falls short of truth. Sometimes our speaking in truth falls short of love. So we're called to truthful love and loving truth. That's not always easy. Let me just give you some, what I'd call this morning, some rungs in a ladder where you can work together in communication. Again, these are just headings this morning. You've got to fill in the details. The Spirit of God will help you do that. These will work in your marriage starting today. They'll work in your family They'll work in your office or hospital or wherever you go to work tomorrow. And I got to tell you, they'll work in church. All of these things will work in church. Number one, communication that is loving and truthful does not hide behind excuses. Here's an incident in the Old Testament. The people have lost sight of Moses. He's gone up to the mountain to meet with his God. And perhaps, perhaps he'll, he'll never return. So they ask Aaron to build them an idol. He does. And then Moses comes back. And he is furious, furious with what happened. In fact, he breaks the tables of the commandments, grinds them up in the power, scatters them on the waters, and he makes the people drink them. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them in such a great sin? Don't be angry, my Lord, Aaron says. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. 
As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever is gold jewelry, take it off. They gave me the gold and I threw it in the fire and I jumped this calf. The foundation of good communication, good communication always lies in truth. And truth begins with the reality that we will not hide behind excuses. If you made a mistake, own up to that. We need to accept responsibility for our own actions, decisions. That's where honesty begins. Grace and truth do not allow us to hide. Another idea. Communication that is loving and truthful does not set traps for people. You know, we can engage with people in ways that set traps for them. Sometimes we say we set them up. Or we dig holes for them to fall into. And we're delighted when they do. Or we stab them in the back. All of that is destructive. Once again, the scriptures are instructive for us. Some Pharisees came and tested Jesus by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What were they doing? They were trying to trick Jesus. John says to us in his epistle, whoever loves his brother or sister lives in the light and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. The key word in that sentence is the word stumble. In Greek, it's the word scandalon, from which we get our English word scandal. But you need to know what that word really was used for. Scandalon was the part of the trap to which the bait was attached, attached that would spring the trap. It's the trigger that springs the trap. Sometimes we can do that for people. We set a trap for them. And if they take the bait, the trap springs. Communication that is gracious and truthful in marriages and homes and offices, wherever, does not set traps for people. Rather, it nurtures health, even allowing healthy disagreement. Communication that is loving and truthful does not give mixed messages. Sometimes we're really good at codes. Our yes sometimes means no. Our no sometimes means yes. Sometimes we say one thing, our entire body language shouts another thing. When our children were um, a lot younger, and sometimes maybe after church they say, um, Dad, can we go to McDonald's or somewhere for lunch? Can we do that? And my answer usually was, we'll see. They figured out what that meant. It meant I'm saying we'll see, but when I really give you the answer, the answer will be no. And they figured that out ahead of, I did, well, ahead of what I could do. Sometimes we say one thing and our entire body language says another. Harry told me some years ago that someone came to her after church service or the church service one day and said, um, I asked Tom something and he said no. What did Tom really mean? Harry said, Tom's really pretty simple. If he said no, he meant no. But let's be honest. Sometimes we say, I don't care. And we really care. Sometimes we say it doesn't matter. And it really does matter. How do we give honest messages to people? 
And that leads us to say that communication is loving and truthful. It's based on honesty. Uh, to be honest doesn't mean we tell everything to everybody all the time. It means that we say what's needing to be said at that time. Decision is, sorry, dishonesty is altering the facts, exaggeration, distortion, misrepresentation. Sometimes people share too much with too many people too often. When we hide behind a mask of dishonesty, we are preventing the flow of healing truth. But when our lives are touched by grace, we realize that we have nothing to lose. And when they're touched by truth, we realize that we have nothing to hide. Communication that's loving and truthful addresses issues promptly, doesn't let them build up. You will know this verse, Ephesians 4. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down when you're still angry. The word for anger in Greek is the word orgy, from which we get our English word orgy. And the word for anger at the beginning of this thought is again this word orgy. The word for anger at the end of the verse, don't let the sun go down when you're still angry, is the same word orgy, but you need to know it has a little prefix in front of it. And what the prefix does, it makes the word stronger. It intensifies the word. Every one of us knows that when something happens, maybe at the beginning of a day, in a home and marriage and family, and it makes us angry. And by the end of the day, we got more anger. It's built up a head of steam within us. If we leave that for a few days or a week, things get worse and worse and worse. It's teaching us something we all know. That is when anger builds up, when we leave things unaddressed and not dealt with, they get worse. The answer is to deal with things properly, promptly rather. Communication that's loving and truthful will deal with things when they can be dealt with in their infancy. Also, communication that's loving and truthful will address the issue with the person directly involved. Jesus gives us some wise counsel. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. What's he telling us? Jesus is telling us that in our communication cycles do not get drawn into what we call triangles. Triangle is involving someone who is neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. It is guaranteed the issue will go off the rails when any hope of good communication is lost if we start having triangles with people. Let me give you an example of this here at Central. Our staff talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Perhaps you were to say to Scott or Phil or pastors or Corey, can I talk to you? I'm really having a problem with Tom. I just, something just bothers me about Tom. So I'd like to talk to you, Scott or Phil or Corey. The answer you will get with them is no. And the question you will get from is this. Have you talked to Tom first? You understand that? If you've talked to Tom first. Now between any 
two or three of us, that would end communication in a church, and that would end gossip in a church right there. That would just stop it. If we do not talk to the person directly involved, but we talk to someone else, that's a triangle. Communication that is honest and loving does not set up triangles. Let's agree to that this morning. Communication is loving and skillful and truthful requires great skill. Many times we're really not listening at all. You know what we're doing? We're waiting for our turn to talk. Sometimes we don't even wait. Have you ever been introduced to someone and a few seconds later you realize you can't remember their name? That happened to you? Of course it does. So communication is bathed with grace and truth. Requires listening, not just to the words, but to the meaning, to emotion, to the truth of the heart. So what will it mean this week for you to practice good communication and not bear false witness, not lie, but bring in your life grace and truth together, which means communication that will work. Think of a conversation you've had in the last couple of weeks. Maybe in your home, maybe at an office, in which one of these communication skills was broken. You set a trap for someone. You created a triangle. Now think ahead to next week. How can you do better to tell the truth? How can you do better not to create false witness? How can you do better? to speak with grace and truth intertwined in your voice. The satire of this command, the paradox of this challenge, not to give false witness against someone, but to do the hard work of good, truthful communication, is that we are called and summoned to live lives that are loving and truthful by someone who is tried and sentenced on the testimony of false witnesses by someone who is condemned by false accusation. Yet Jesus, this Christ that we know, this Jesus in his heart was open and transparent to everyone and everything. When we look into the life of Jesus, we find grace and truth delicately intertwined, just like dance partners that cannot be separated. And they call us to be a people who in our muddled, confusing world will live out of a deep, deep well of, of truthful grace and gracious truth. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.